0: Hey friends and gamers, it's Frenchy. Hope you're doing well. Hey, for those of you pet lovers, do you know apparently that keeping tropical fish at home can have a calming effect on you? Must be all the indoor fins. All right, friends and gamers. Hey, welcome to episode 22 of the Frenchie Plays Games podcast, podcast form that, if you're listening to it, will be on uh, Apple and Spotify and other podcast platforms. But if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll be seeing me in quote unquote real life. And uh, thank you for coming and hope you are well. Frenchie's got a lot of stuff to cover in a very short period of time. And I kind of want to go over some big news uh, that is uh, breaking as we go and talk about some things and content creation and some games I've played and kind of what's in store over the next couple of months. So uh, just to really cut to the chase, uh, Frenchie is actually going to be moving back across country. I got a promotion at work and I'm going to be going cross country. I'm going to be going to the Atlanta area. So that's exciting for me, and however, it's my fourth cross-country move. I've gone from both coasts before back and forth, and then went from the East Coast to Colorado, where I am today, and in a little over a month, I'll be permanently settled, or a little less than a month maybe permanently settled in the great state of Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. So very excited. Uh, I just put out a little Facebook message to um, Dice Tower Group, and anybody who uh, can uh, see that, uh, if you are in Atlanta, And you're in a game group, want somebody to game, I'm looking for people to game. I already got a couple of friends I'm connecting to as well, including Ron Frazier. Ron Frazier does uh, Ron Talks Tabletop. So he has a podcast. He does some video segments. I think he does some video segments for Board Game Breakfast for the Dice Tower. And then there's another uh, podcast that is based out of Tampa, and that's Beans and Dice Podcasts, and that is... Uh, those two guys and Ron typically tends to go on there quite a bit as a call-in host, a call-in guest or sometimes he is a, a featured guest on there as well. So look forward to seeing him uh, a little more frequently. Great guy. He's got a lot of great taste in games. I know how he games with his, uh, uh, how busy his family is, but that's awesome that I get to be around some cool people. Going to miss my friends here in Colorado, but life goes on. And the great thing about the board game community, you know, when you move, and I know I'm just dropping this on you real, real quick and right off the gate, but that's how I'm going to roll today. You know, when you move across country or even just, you know, another part of the county, another part of the city or whatever, sometimes to get a hold of a foundation of group of people that you know, whether it's in uh, school, friends and family, uh, place of worship, uh, work, um, anything like that, you know, or just hanging out at uh, yeah at a restaurant or a pub, or whatever like that, and meeting people. Sometimes it takes a little bit to break through that. But I'm finding that the board game community, you can cut through that so much quicker. That's what I love about this community. Uh, and that's a topic I'm going to be putting up, not this uh, episode and not during this podcast, but down the road too, because I think our board game community can really transcend a lot of what's out there in the world and really break down a lot of walls. But It's great to know that there are people like, yeah, come on, love to. They don't even know me, so, you know, because I'm small potatoes, but it's great to know that there are people that you can automatically go ahead, game. Gamers understand gamers, and then you can go ahead and make an instant connection. And uh, whether you play with them just a few times or you play with them on a regular cadence, it's great. So, that is a huge, huge move for. Frenchie and I know I'm starting off, right, you know, right at 100 miles an hour. It's like some of those uh, amusement park rides. You buckle in, and you're at 60 miles an hour in like 1.4 seconds. So that's how we're going to roll. But that means, being said, that there is going to be a disruption. And Frenchie, first of all, just in life, number one, because uh, cross country move, even with all the resources that I have to help me uh, move out from the company. Uh, It's still going to be disruption and you still have to take care of things. You have to take care of your job, you have to take care of all the things you need and moving from one place to another and getting established, you know, shutting off utilities and things in one place, getting those connected, all the logistics. Um, But then that also means that my game playing is going to decelerate probably after this coming weekend. I'm filming this on, what is this, the 16th of April. So that means after this weekend, uh, it's I have no idea when I'm gonna play a game uh, after that. And content is going to be disrupted as well. I do plan to put out some content every week, maybe a couple of little bits, uh, at least in video form. I will try to get some kind of podcast in there, maybe a very abbreviated podcast. I don't know what any of this looks like because I don't know what the next week looks like, to be honest with you. So there's going to be some disruption, but I do promise I'll put something out might be in a different form, and who knows? Sometimes, when you have uh, a disruption in your life, you end up finding a new formula for some things that works even better, whether that's exercise, how you live, how you play games, in this case, all of the above, as well as content creation. So, uh, over the next couple of months, at least through the end of May, There'll be a disruption on different cadence, but I will be putting some things out. I just don't know what that's gonna be. So your best to stay tuned and I will, uh, you'll see when it comes all out in fruition. So that's the biggest thing going on with Frenchy. Uh, other than that, it has been kind of business as usual in the last couple of weeks leading up to the mid of April, getting some content out, uh, don't be bored, had the uh, best of the month where I feature Lacrimosa, so I'll lean that channel there, continuing to contribute for Dice Tower Favorite Game Friday, and I just like how that community has been going. There just seems to be some new people there doing some really cool and creative things, so that's awesome, and then some of us that have been uh, regular or semi-regular contributors still contributing, and just seems to be in the comments uh, some camaraderie in that uh, Favorite Game Friday uh, group and even those people that are not contributors or very rarely a contributor uh, I just like the comments in there and people that are really helping each other encouraging other and the fun and the banter and it's just a really cool uh, Really cool group now. So I'm, I'm appreciating all of that. Uh, I haven't playing some games had some games that I'm going to be talking about over the next um, uh, segments here and um, looking at games that are going to uh, Be coming out, but see that's the other thing so I'm just kind of looking ahead of my notes and going, oh, here's some games that I'll be backing. One of the most scary things about moving is you have these pledge managers from Game Found or Backerkit or via Kickstarter or whatever, the, these uh, you know orders they have. I even have a pre-order from, uh, from Eagle Griffin Games for Federations because I didn't back that, so I've got a pre-order. So being able to go, okay, I've got to change the addresses and hopefully, And the time you go from point A to point B, that your games don't arrive in point A, they arrive in point B. And if they arrive in point A, how do you get back? And so I've got a plan and provision for that, just got to shore up a few things. But isn't that always the scariest thing, scariest thing? Even when you move, you know, making sure that, well, if my Kickstarter, if I move like down the road, and my Kickstarter gets dropped off at my porch. Is that you know? Am I going to lose that if I don't get it for a couple of days? So there's a lot of concern and anxiety. And me, I'm having a company move me. So you know, they box everything. And, and so I, show, it's funny. So yesterday, they had a person come out and actually survey uh, where I live. And uh, you know, it's going over things of value. And I'm like, does does everything have to be a set value? Because a set value, they want you to list something unless it has sentimental value and it says priceless, which means it has no uh, intrinsic value other than to yourself. And I'm like, well, what if I had a multitude of things that increased that? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, come here. And I took him over to the rooms that I have all my board game stage in. And I told him I got a large board game collection. And he goes, whoa, you ain't a kidding. And I'm like, he goes, okay, I've got to take pictures because they're not going to understand when I say he has a number of board games because they're going to think you got like 20. And I'm like, got a few more than that. So it's funny and surreal, but I'm going to be watching over their shoulders as they pack everything and transport it and unpack it. When we get to uh, when we get to Georgia, but it's a fun time. And again, I have to say with a sense of humor, too. But luckily, I can go ahead and put top line value on it. Uh, A friend of mine, she asked me if I have everything uh, listed. And I'm like, yeah, you know, if we uh, list everything on Board Game Geek, you got everything right there. So you can just go ahead and and show that. So that's proof of everything that you have. So I will take pictures as well. As best I can, but definitely have a catalog index. So that was kind of nice when she had mentioned that. I'm like, oh, yes, Board Game Geek. I've got everything listed on there. So that's a nice thing for insurance purposes. Uh, these are bonded people. I imagine that, you know, other than through no fault of their own, uh, if anything happens, it'll be something that was totally out of their control. But uh, it's exciting, it's scary at the same time, but it's an interesting thing when somebody else has control of your board games, whether that is uh, delivery because they are, they might be arriving at certain times versus when you're actually going to get them and where you're going to be and then when somebody else is actually transporting the games. But I'll hope for the best and we'll just take it from there. So those are some quick updates for Frenchie and I'm going to take a quick pause to get a sip of water and then I'll come back and I'm going to talk about some games that are upcoming, some games I'm anticipating coming in Kickstarter and we will go ahead and continue in the next segment. All right, so Frenchie is going to go over some games that have been uh, hitting, some games that uh, I don't have, uh, I, some of them I don't have for various reasons, uh, and I'll explain some of those games that I've got. I kind of have gone over, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a little departure. I'm going to just kind of go through today, April 16th, Sunday, I'm going to go through the hotness on BGG and maybe even look at the crowdfunding countdown here and just go over just some thoughts on some games some random thoughts what i think about it uh what i've heard about it uh and different things and just kind of give you a little bit of frenchies thoughts on some games that are trending or games that people are anticipating or games that are brand new that we're all trying to figure out what they are so the first one here i'm just gonna just go on the hotness here um, is Cascadia landmark? So it's an expansion to Cascadia. If you have not played Cascadia, it is an amazing game. I definitely am gonna put this probably in my top 20 or maybe even 10 games of all time. The reason I do is because it's a game that provides some good uh, gameplay experience with how you build your habitat and how you put the wildlife tokens on your uh, tile laying tableau as you draft them but it's also a game that can be easily taught to gamers that are new to the hobby as well as have a satisfactory game experience with even the most experienced gamers because I've played it with a number of experienced gamers that say that is a really really good game now they've got an expansion coming out for it again I haven't checked it because obviously as I just said in the last segment my life's just a little busy now that I'm going to be moving but I'm excited for this and I'm definitely going to look at getting this expansion and uh, it's kind of like parks to me parks was a solid solid game i like it probably in my top 100 of all time without a doubt beautiful game Uh, you know the beauty of parks transcends the beauty of cascadia but Cascadia is a beautiful game in its own right and but cascadia to me is a great game for a lot of different reasons including the ones i just mentioned so landmarks is an expansion coming out for that i cannot wait it's so cool, which tells you how much of a hit Cascadia is. So the next game on the hotness, number two, is Um and it leads your class to victory. Now, I have been hearing, so this is where you simulate <clears throat> a contemporary nation. It's a, it's a symmetric, asymmetric uh, political economic uh, game. Uh, it's a Euro game. I did not back it because I had some misgivings with that. Now, I might have been a little gun-shy because I think one of the worst games ever made from a gameplay experience was Shassen. And that was supposed to be this game of political discourse and everything. It was a very well-produced game. I mean, production behind it, one of the nicest productions I've ever seen. The gameplay was just horrible and really, you know, people didn't want to get into the whole political theme, then it was just an area majority uh, free-for-all, you know, grab the area majority and just play to that. So you just meta a game and not even worry about uh, what it was supposed to do. So there was a big dichotomy of that. And I was a little gun-shy with this. And there was also, I remember a few other things too that just come to my mind. I'm like, I don't know if this game is really going to resonate. This game, hotness number two, people are playing it. It's coming out. So I'm a little bit like, well, maybe I missed the boat on this game too. And I've been hearing a lot of people say it's a really good game. So it's a game that I'm gonna give some um, thought to, to whether I wanna go ahead and back it, um, or not back it, but to go ahead and get a copy and see how it is. I'll probably play it first as well. Uh, And again, it's been a little while. I think it's been a couple of years since it's back. So I wanna kinda just go back and look to see a little bit of the rules and the gameplay and everything. But definitely worth another peek. Definitely, I think uh, you know one of the gambles in Kickstarter is being able to go ahead and say, "Do you want to get this game or not?" And I'm going to mention a game here in just a second that I'm probably going to pass on from what I've heard, but it's a popular game. But Hegemony uh, <clears throat> is definitely a game that I want to look at that I didn't back. That I definitely think that uh, could be a game that I will like, but I want to check it out a little bit more just based on how it's how I'm hearing it. It's trending that doesn't mean that if it's trending number number two in the hotness of board game geek not a rating but in the hotness uh, on the front page might be worth another look again it could be hype maybe it's not going to be for me but it's worth another peek but the next game that i'm going to talk about is a game that i don't think i'm going to back and that is uh from i think it's ivy games and that's fractured sky and this is about kingdoms uh to uh, that are actually recovering shards of falling stars uh, Ivy Studios mm, has done some really good games, Moonrakers, uh, Myth and Mischief, I liked. I thought that was a really good game. And I've been hearing a lot of um, positive and negative on Fractured Sky. There was a lot of hype going into this game. It's just it recently re, uh, uh, launched on Kickstarter. And I hear a lot of people talking about this game. It's good and everything. But I'm also starting to hear an undercurrent of the game is too swingy. The game's too random. And so for me, trying to make sure that I go ahead and look at the games that I want to play, uh, I don't mind some random elements, but I'm hearing that the game doesn't scale well. Two players, you know, uh, doesn't play very well, doesn't interact very well. It's really got to work with three or four, and then even then it can be swinging. So it's a game that I'm not sure I'm going to back. I'm going to look at it a little bit more closer. But I've been hearing that, and it's enough of an undercurrent to say, People that are telling me this are, and I'm hearing it from, are fairly credible. And to me, that creates a little bit of a um, challenge in the board game community. Because the challenge for me in the board game community is you have a lot of well-intentioned content creators. Uh, They get paid or they want to get their channel out there and so they do uh, promotions, they do, um, you know, previews of games and because that's where a company is going to say well here's where some of these content creators say and they're going to say things and to me it takes away the objectivity i actually did that with one game that actually didn't back and i tried to be very neutral with it and say what the positive was but didn't say anything and the person said that that was fair you know and what i said that i did like some aspects of the game and then after that and it didn't fund and not because it didn't fund but i told myself i'm not going to do that i want to be able to say what i want to say on this channel two viewers, uh, take it or leave it. You know, I'm not worried if I make money on this channel or not. What I wanna do is just say, hey, this is great, this is not great, say what I wanna say, don't have to worry about uh, any relationship or hurting anyone's feelings, and, you know, because there's a contractual or some kind of um, uh, assumption that I'm gonna do something or say something favorable. So Fractured Sky for Frenchie is probably gonna be on the pass. But I'm going to check it out just a little closer. But I'm hearing an undercurrent that is probably not going to be uh, the best gameplay experience overall. Now, let's move on to some other things. Santorini. Santorini is one of those abstract puzzle games. It's been around for a while, too. It's been a very popular game. I think it's been around for got to be about 10 years. And a really cool game. in building these uh, Greek um these greek buildings and the isles of greece and then they came out with a new york uh theme as well which i didn't play i've heard some mixed things about it and now you have a uh, santorini uh is a got a kickstarter as well let me check the kickstarter here that kickstarter is uh i believe a i'm on the wrong page here i believe there is a uh Uh, New way to play and co-op and everything as well. So that game is now getting back some attention as well and That's well-deserved too. I think Santorini was a very fun game and a very good game And it's nice to me to see Game companies take a game and try to do something a little bit different with it as much as possible No risk for that. Um, I don't believe this is a game where you're gonna have all this false bloat to make it something that it's not We will see uh, but I don't, I don't believe that that's going to be the case with Santorini. But there are games that do that, that bring out some additional bloat, that really don't add anything to the game. In fact, take away from the game. But uh, the, for Santorini here, I think this will be pretty cool, and we'll bring this game back up to the forefront because over time, a game that doesn't, uh, that's not an evergreen game like a Ticket to Ride, or I'm even looking at Heat here too. I think Heat's going to be an evergreen game for a while, that's my assumption. Those games will always be forefront. Dominion's another game that's forefront. Santorini, a lot of people that play it, but it's kind of fallen out of, not favor, but just it's not the hotness. And so this is actually gonna bring this back to the forefront for a period of time. So I'm uh, pretty stoked that that's out there and so more people will get to know uh, this new little abstract uh, building game. So another game that's on the list is Darwin's Journey. Darwin's Journey, uh, I remember back in that. And I think that was, I remember it was right just before COVID or whatever. And I had just been back in games for about a year. starting to get more bolder. So I backed this game. And I know some friends that have got it, already played it. And I cannot wait for this. Uh, this to me. And what was the other game that came through too? Did I, do I have it back here? There's another game, too, that I got right around the same time. Um, it'll lose me right now. So, But Darwin's Journey about uh, Darwin's treks through the Galapagos Island. It's a worker placement game and just everything about it is really nice. I like the artwork that's on it. It's a really cool theme and it'll be interesting to see how they uh, articulate all that into the mechanics of the game. So I'm looking forward. I'm sure it's coming. Hopefully it's not coming west while I'm going east but we'll see about that, but uh, I would imagine it shows up anytime. So that's uh, that's Darwin's journey a very hot game, a very anticipated game probably for a lot of people one of the most anticipated games for 2023. I uh, see so you looking again on the hotness so age of innovation another uh, I believe that is Vital Asserta, if I remember right or was that inventions I think it was inventions age of innovation. Um, I'm not too familiar with it. Okay, I'm getting that mixed up with I'm getting that mixed up with uh, inventions from Vitala Cerda. No, this is a game that is set in the world of Terra Mystica. Okay, I'm gonna have to check that out. I'm not sure exactly uh what that is. I thought I <clears throat> yeah, I was mixing up two games. Okay. Jerusalem, Anno Domini. That's a game that has come out that people I think it was backed. Manage resources and games. Uh, influence to Sit Near Jesus at the Last Supper. This is a worker placement game. It is a... You can play one to four players. And who is the publisher? Devere. Devere's coming out with some great games lately. So I miss this. I would like to check this out uh, just from the theme as well as uh, how that works in the theme with the worker placement. And then Devere just has been putting out to me some solid games overall. Not that they're games that everyone has liked. The games like Red Cathedral have been quite the hit from De Vere, So they're putting out a really solid catalog of games. A few more here. So those of you who haven't heard, Beyond the Sun, which is a uh, just an underrated game that came out during COVID your Grand Games, uh, which is, um, uh, you know, exploring in space. And then it had a really unique tech tree ability. They have the first expansion for it called Leaders of the New Dawn. And so that is coming up with asymmetric factions and the solo mode and new strategies. Uh, anything that brings out to Beyond the Sun is going to be great. It is not the most thematic or aesthetically looking game, but it is a highly functional game. And I think that's what sets um, uh, Beyond the Sun apart from other games. It's a very functional game. It works well, creates some energy, I mean some, uh, some good gameplay synergy. And so hopefully this expansion can also synergize with this with with the things I just talked about, including the new strategies. And again, that's always the risk with an expansion. Does it add to the game? Does it fix anything with the game? Does it take away from the game? Does it convolute the game? Does it make sense? Uh, Are some valid questions for that. And of other things here. So Star Wars deck building game I almost picked up and I'm just going to say this because today 27 and 30 on the hotness is Star Wars deck building game by Fantasy Flight Games and Marvel Champions the card game by Fantasy Flight Games. I did a segment uh, I posted that last week I believe on my concern for Fantasy Flight Games Fantasy Flight Games has to me lost what uh, everything that it has been I mean it still puts out Great quality games, but, uh, and I think even that has subsided just slightly because they're still great quality games as far as components and production and everything. They're still reliant on the IP. Everything's Marvel, everything's Arkham Horror, everything's Lord of the Rings, everything's Star Wars and everything. And there's not too much of their original IP that they're really doing. Maybe Descent is the only one that's going on, but everything feels very samey, like they're just reskinning other games or different things that they've done before and repackaging them, it's almost like the innovation and creative well has dried up. And uh, I almost bought Star Wars deck building game yesterday, didn't because I was like, I'm going to just kind of wait a little bit. But what was interesting is at the end of that video, what I did is I talked about how, uh, you know, the uh, just the things I've talked about, my concern, I'm hopeful for Fantasy Flight Games, but Marvel card game had for the first time, no new, um, no new expansions. Nothing coming through, and it was weird to see that there was nothing in the pipeline for that uh, for that game. And they continue to put out new stuff for Arkham Horror. They continue to put new stuff out for um, Lord of the Rings Living Card Game. And so, as I call this page up, uh, about a day or so after they had I had done that video and published that, they announced finally the new expansion for Marvel Champions Card Game. And this is Next Evolution, uh, which goes into, again, the X-Men universe and X-Force. And so I'm excited for that. And it came in just a time for me that I'm going to continue to back this because I love Marvel Champions to death. But I was, I was on the fence. I was on the fence of whether I was going to go. I'm like, you know what? If you're not going to support this, I may pull away. But I'm looking at this and going, no, I mean, it's just everything. It's just Marvel Champions to me is like sign me up with every release. But I was questioning it. But I'm excited that they're going to supply it. I hope they continue to put out hero packs. I hope they get the cadence through there. Um, You know, again, I don't know a lot of the logistics and what's going on with the company. I know things have, you know, we all know things have been disrupted. But some publishers are they're beyond that right now. And I'm not saying that everything's perfect in the supply chain world, production world, shipping and logistics. But I would like to see them start to fill up that pipeline again with new products. So at least we have a first step. There was a gap for a bit of time, but I'm excited for this. So I'm going to continue to go on with uh, pursuing Marvel Champions in its uh, in its forms. So that's exciting for me. So for the hotness, that's about all I'm going to talk about there. But I'm going to go scroll down here, some of the crowdfunding and really talk about a couple of games here. That I am looking at. Um, actually, there's three games. So one is called Mycology, which was kind of interesting. There's two foraging games that are coming out. Uh, I think they're both they're both on Kickstarter. One's on Kickstarter and GameThon. So Mycology is where you're foraging, uh, foraging, foraging foraging for fungi, okay, for mushrooms. And uh, I was looking at this. Um, it's two to six players, which is an interesting player count. It's not supposed to be a very heavy game. I imagine it's going to be a light to midway game. But what's interesting is I was looking at the rules and you roll, you're roll, you rolling dice and you're collecting resources. But one of the things is when you roll the dice 2d6, when you hit a seven, the uh, dice move into, or the season, it moves into a new season. So I haven't really broken down all of the rules, but I'm thinking about that as well, going, okay, Um, How is that built in? So do the seasons move? What happens if you have a string of sevens? I'm sure there's other things besides just rolling the dice and determining the seasons uh, as to probably how the mushrooms are and how they're harvested and everything that goes on through that. So I imagine there's some ways to kind of balance that out so it's not all dependent on, on the dice. But I thought it was kind of interesting that Uh, You know, like a deck of cards, you might have a deck of cards and you just don't know when this card will say, okay, comes out and it says, okay, now you go to uh, the next turn, the next round, or you do a scoring turn. So, that's probably the similar thought process going into this. The theme may or may not resonate with people, but again, as I see some of these nature theme games, I think it's kind of interesting. To see somebody going, okay, let's do foraging for mushrooms as a board game theme, and how do we put the mechanics to that, or how do we take this game? What's the best theme for that? So I really appreciate how things are moving along quite nicely with uh, with uh, you know the nature theme games. So this will be pretty cool to see if mycology uh, resonates. I think it's very. I think if I looked if I looked back, I think it was like fourteen hundred people. Um, that's just a guess, it might be more, it might be a little bit less, but it was solid. I think it was definitely a good, um, good thousand plus people that have backed it so far on Kickstarter. So another game I'm looking at is Terminus. Terminus is a subway game you're planning and developing and constructing subway tunnels using drafting, uh, end game bonuses, grid movement, and let's see some of the other mechanics that are here, resource uh, to move, point to point movement, tile placement, uh, worker placement as well. And this is a game that is published by Inside Up Games and uh, really looks cool. I always like games that are building subways, uh, building routes, uh, train games and everything like that. Not necessarily 18X, but just the pick up and deliver train games, railways of the world, Maglev, Metro. So this game looks pretty cool. I'm definitely going to be backing this on Kickstarter and looking forward to, uh, to what Terminus and the people from Inside Up are bringing us through this game. And then the last game that I'm looking at, uh, we talked about is uh, Battletech Mercenaries. So it's a tabletop skirmish game. Again, miniatures come pre-assembled, so you just go ahead and paint them. You can play a full game, uh, a full realized game, or you can do an Alpha Strike, which is a little bit of a faster way to play uh, to play Battletech. And I'm probably going to back it at a very base level, and then once I get moved, go ahead and try to increase with some add-ons or like really pledge. Uh, it looks like I can do that, and so that'll be a, a game that I can't wait uh, to go ahead and obviously you have to move everything, set up my painting station, actually get to painting. I've had it set up, and I've done a teeny bit with some practice, but it's time to really get going with that. So no better time to do that than with a game like this, but that's a pretty... Uh, pretty big Kickstarter, very successful. And, you know, Catalyst Game Labs and Battletech just seem to really put out uh, these and there just seems to be such a great fan base for that. And it always backs backs at a very highly successful rate. Already one of the best Kickstarters for 2023. So those are games that I am looking forward to and expecting to back and just some talk about some games that are hot and just Frenchie's thoughts on some of the hotness and some of the trends in the board games currently. All right, Frenchie's going to talk about a topic that um, actually has kind of been a little bit of the of the uh, I don't know talk of of topics over the last couple of months. It's kind of capped off by the Dice Tower crew did a top five live at Dice Tower West about. Um, you know, things that they were tired of in the board game community. And I figured it would probably be pretty good to just talk about a few things that I I wouldn't say tired of, but I'm concerned about overall in the game community. Because I definitely think that, uh, you know, there's always things to be concerned about, and I think as a public service announcement, so to speak, or Uh, just expressing and just being real of who I am. I try to be very positive, I try to be very objective, but sometimes you do have to say these are things that concern me. And I never try to point to any one particular person um, or group of people unless there's something egregious. Uh, You know, my thoughts on Fantasy Flight Games are for the company, the company obviously has gone leadership changes and things for a variety of reasons. And I'm not going to say that I understand everything going there, and is it all because Christian Peterson left Possibly, possibly not. Is it asthma day? I mean, you, you could come off, there's other things in the equation to me of what's going on with fantasy flight games that I am not privy to and will probably never know. So it's very tough for me to make a full based opinion based on that other than say, here's my observations, here's my concerns. So these things are going to be very similar to that. Some things that concern me or things that I just, and I'm not saying concern me like, oh, these could be a problem, but I'm like, uh, you know, I just, I'm seeing a trend here, and probably want to go ahead and just bring some awareness to that. So, a couple of things that I want to point out. Uh, One one concern I have in the board game space is the amount of campaign games that have been permeating the genre. Like every, not every game, but more and more and more games with increasing volume, with increasing frequency have a campaign mode, and I get, you know, Gloomhaven, full campaign mode, Frosthaven came out even more, and I do appreciate some campaign games, one of my favorite games is uh, Fantasy Flight, uh, Lord of the Rings, Journeys of Middle-earth, you know, and playing that game as a campaign where you're going through an adventure, 12, 13 chapters, it's app-assisted And I know some people don't like apps, but I enjoy it. And so there, that's me. So you don't have to play if you don't like apps. Uh, And so, you know, I have no problem with games that do that. But when games seem to go ahead and and just be, here's a game that you play as a campaign mode, or here's a aspect of the game that is a campaign mode. And I'm getting to where I'm even have some games on Kickstarter, I'm like, it's a campaign game. I really don't want to do it. I want to have games that are one off. Now, if that game can be played a la carte, as is where i can go ahead and play it out of the box have a game experience and not be beholden to the fact that it's a campaign i can just play it as is and if i come back to it in 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 a day or two weeks or three months or in two years not going to be a big deal the campaign would be a nice to have now if it's a campaign only game i'm going to kind of start to shy away from that now there are some options to that too i mean like arkham horror and the campaign uh expansions and everything, that makes sense to me. And there's a group that, in my current game group, uh, that play that every couple of weeks, and they they enjoy that. And there's nothing wrong with that, and I do like Arkham Horror, uh, and I've played a little bit of some of the campaigns. So that's fine, I'm not worried about it. But when I see more and more games, miniature games, dungeon delve games, dungeon crawl games, um, just games overall that have these campaign modes, and okay, obviously, knowing business, knowing supply and demand. Well, when campaign games are selling and people are gravitating to them, then let's go ahead and put that out because that's where people are spending their money, right? The other thing is is that trend, you know, of just kind of capitalizing on the trend for business purposes. But I wonder also if some of these publishers and designers, probably publishers a little bit more, uh, are thinking, well, if we make this campaign, then we're gonna have somebody play this game more Versus playing it, putting on a shelf and buying another game. We'll get a little bit more. Maybe we can add some more stuff to it. And so you're kind of setting up where, well, I want you to play my game. I want you to play this game. You know, you're going to play 100 scenarios and it's going to take you about 45 minutes. That's a lot of time, you know. And outside of RPGers, um, I would say there's a smaller subset of campaign game players in the board game space than, uh, than people realize. And it's okay to have those. But when those games are primarily campaign-based, that kind of takes a little bit away from me. So that's a concern I have. I'm seeing that go, and I'm hoping that that trend continues because there are some games that, quite honestly, I'd like to back. Oh, you're a campaign game? I'm out, you know, and I'll just go ahead and spend my money elsewhere or not. So that's one thing that's been concerning me a little bit of late. On that note to, you know, publishers, and this is something everybody else Uh, It says, but, you know, publishers have really started to, again, the whole crowdfunding, the whole Kickstarter, the whole get the money up from, which I understand the business model makes total sense to me, Uh, but that they overproduce the games and they're unnecessary. So these add-ons, these miniatures, these upgraded components, they don't add anything to the game. What, UV coating, you know, for a box? Okay, I'm not going to put my box in the window. I'm not going to be like that 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 friendly local game store that has the magic, uh, window clings or posters from, uh, you know, Ravnica or, 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 uh, gate crash or whatever that have been up for about eight years and they're faded, uh, or they've had games there and they haven't put any tinting in the window and those game, the box side I don't do that. You know, we'll mix things up a little bit. I take better care of my games that way. I don't need a UV coat. Is that, that's, it doesn't even incentivize me to go ahead and, and, Back the Kickstarter because that's the next stretch goal. That doesn't make sense. Um, You know, having all these minis, you know. I I would say, for me, games that if they could have the option of like, okay, we're going to have wooden meeples or maybe standees, that's fine, okay. And then we can have an add-on, you can do minis, okay. I mean, I did the Great Wall. I backed it with minis. Now, in hindsight, I would rather back it if I had to do it over again, back it with the minis because I backed it with the wooden meeples, but then you got stickers, which is another concern for me. And I understand, I'll get into this a little bit more. Actually, no, I'm just gonna run with it, okay? I'm gonna run with it. So um, so that overproduction is a concern and I'll get to Great Wall here in a minute because it's right there staring me at the face. And it's a fantastic game, but that's a great object lesson, a perfect example of where I'm gonna be going. So when games have more Production value. It's like, okay, I'm spending. Am I spending 120 dollars, or can we actually produce this game for 80 or 75 or whatever? And you know, how much of that money is really, you know, is that really flow through dollars where we can actually produce these things much cheaper? And so, uh, the the net cost, if we get uh, you know more people to back it and back it at a higher level, we're actually going to flow through with more net money, and maybe maybe that is. Maybe it's not all pure profit. But are they looking at that that way from a PL standpoint? Again, this is where my business brain goes. But as a consumer, I'm like, do I really even need to pay that? You know, it's nice to have different tiers. And I know that there's a lot of cost that goes into managing uh, a crowdfunding and a lot of considerations. And I know that the needle moves in the production and costs quite a bit. And hopefully that's stabilizing a little bit. But a lot of those unnecessary things. And I'm like, eh, hey, you know what? It's either 50 bucks and I get eh. Or 120 bucks and I get more than what I need? Don't you have a middle ground? So those those things concern me as well to that. But I'm gonna hop on something that wasn't on my notes here. Stickers. Okay. So when I backed the Grey Wall, I backed it with the minis, because I'm like, I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna get the minis. I'm gonna back it with the meeples, excuse me, the meeples. And I'm gonna go ahead and do that and just save a little bit of money. And I got it, and it's a great game. I've played it a few times, love the game. But those meeples came with stickers, 250 stickers. Okay, 250, you know, I mean, just, oh my goodness. And it took me a whole evening and I'm just doing stickers. You know, and stickers never go on fully great because you're always gonna get them a little off or whatever like that. And to me, I'm like, I would have rather paid either for the minis in hindsight for Great Wall, I would have paid for the minis. And I know they had another, uh, another crowd Funding that they had the minis. And I just didn't go cuz I'm like, I've already done it I mean, I just spent I don't know how many hours doing stickers. I'm not gonna throw that time away Anymore, okay, I'm done. I'm not gonna you know, do that at a time the time is already invested so But I would have rather spent an additional 20 bucks even if you had silk screen those those minis Okay, instead of doing the stickers. Okay, we'll print the stickers for a cheap cost. so We're gonna allow you the gamer, you, the end user, to do all of our work for us is how I see that, okay? And I see a lot of this shifting in companies and in all industries across the world where they're putting that onus on the end user. Bag your own groceries now, okay? And I know that model's been around for 30 years at least. Different things like that. No. No, you know, you're taking away from game playing time for me. Okay, I'll have no problem punching things out, organizing them. That's fine. But when it comes to actually finishing assembling your game, you know, minis that are need to be constructed, such as uh, you know, Warhammer, Star Wars Legion. That's fine. I get that. But you've been hearing me talk about BattleTech, so that tells you where my my thoughts going a little bit too. But. When I feel like I have to do your job for you as a publisher because you don't want to spend the money, so let's go ahead and give stickers to them. Silkscreen. Save me the time. I'll spend that extra $15, $20, whatever that cost, as long as it's reasonable. I'll do that. I have no problem with that. So those are things that concern me about the board game industry, because if we're starting to see a shift and we're going to put stuff on the end user, and that means that our hobby time that we have is going to be taken up by some of the mundane tasks that really publishers should have just been able to give uh, give us the option whether we want to do that. And then that takes me to the very last thing. And that concerns me in the board game hobby of, of things. But one thing I want to do. So it's that lack of customer experience or that lack of customer service. And so I use customer experience a little bit because that's really in, in friends that I know that are um, – you know leadership and uh, and speakers on customer experience authors and everything that thinking about the end-user experience is always going to be key and whether it's your customer service whether it is how somebody responds to in a Facebook group from a publisher or how the um, how the crowdfunding, you know, the communication is on Kickstarter. Like, I know some people say, I don't want to have a monthly update on Kickstarter. Well, that's you, but most people would. And I appreciate at least having a regular cadence of where things are. Um, having a defensive standpoint, when somebody has any criticism, you get all defensive about that, then it doesn't bode well for a person who has raised that question might be an innocent question, might be a legitimate criticism. That defensiveness, and then everyone else sees it because things are so public now online. That pulls away from the customer experience. And really, do I even want to do any more business with this customer or with this publisher, a game designer? And then also, too, you know, I'm seeing that. So, okay, you know, am I even trusting that I'm going to get the goods at some point? Because I'm starting to see a little bit of this. Being able to respond to an issue versus a damaged box or missing component. For only local game stores that you get to, and it, this is the common trope and the common stereotype but it's so true you know where you have a game store that maybe you're talking about magic okay and it does a lot of magic and everything it has a good amount of board games and the only person really at the counter is talking to people about cards and combos and commander and everything and they're not really acknowledging maybe the board gamers that are there or people that have a less than pleasant disposition you're in customer service and i've seen this shift since covid Because I think people right now, it's the way the world is, they are not really as friendly as they should be. And it's like, okay, so what part of that is really affecting the game community? Because the game community, yeah, we're people at the end of the day. You know, we can have different, um, you know, uh, different types of buckets of, of different individuals and everything, but I think the board game community overall, very positive, very engaged. Yeah, there's always going to be those that are detractors, whether they're individuals or groups, but I'm seeing this more in companies how much more before that starts to seep into the board game community at large? And I really hope that doesn't happen, but I see human nature and I watch uh, human beings over years and I see that certain things start to happen and I'm really concerned that some of this prevalent mindset is going to start creeping into the board game community. And there's other examples too, they can go on the news and uh, see board game news and see some things that are really happening. So that concerns me and that tells me there's a bigger issue Uh, underneath the surface rather than just the customer experience, but how they're thinking and really how they treat the board gamers. And we need to rise above that, but we also need to vote with our dollars. And if we don't vote with our dollars the right way, then, uh, you know, we are not going to reward those companies that, hey, maybe their games aren't great, but you know what? They take care of me. And so because of that, I'll go ahead and do it. I usually see a correlation with games that really have great customer uh, service and really take care of, of people that... They may not be a big game company, but they tend to be more profitable. They tend to be more engaged with the board game community. They tend to last longer than those that aren't. And I see that with with, uh, game stores as well. The best game stores that I've ever seen have had phenomenal customer service. They have a good community behind them. Uh, Maybe they're not as profitable as some others, but they have long-term profitability and long-term sustainability because they have a, a successful model based on customer experience. And so those are some of the things that concern me the board game hobby today that I see, and hopefully those tides can correct. And I'm definitely going to make sure my lesson learned from all this is not to buy anything with stickers ever again. And that that scarred Frenchie for the rest of his life. But uh, anyway, that's just a rant and a rumble about things that concern me in the board game community. Just a few small things. Other than that, I think we've got a great community. I love uh, you know a lot of the banter. I love a lot of the content creators now. I love the fun the cons now Everyone's so excited to be out in cons the last couple of years So there's been some great forward momentum There's just some things I think we should all just keep an eye on and hopefully we can help kind of shine some light and reward the companies that actually do a very good job whether they're publishers whether they're designers whether they're our friendly local game Stores or anyone else for that matter. So let's continue to play nice with everyone and make a difference in our community All right, Frenchie's gonna talk about a, a handful of games that I've played in the last uh, couple of weeks. And I wanna get you up to speed on this. And hopefully I can carry some games forward into uh, the next few weeks as, as I move. If you haven't uh, heard that in one of the video segments, uh, check out uh, the one I kind of started the intro segment here for episode 22 of the podcast, but I'm gonna be moving cross country. So my content may go through some disruption. Over the next four to six weeks, but I will be putting something out in some form as yet to be determined. But uh, let's go ahead and talk about the games that I've played recently and uh, just some thoughts of them as well. So, first one is Under Falling Skies, and I played and I did Under Falling Skies because they had a uh, dice Tower Favorite Game Friday clip on, uh, just actually got posted last week, on your favorite uh, game that gives you a video game experience. And Under Falling Skies is a solo-only game by Check Games Edition that is reminiscent of the Space Invaders game, and I don't think I actually alluded to that uh, in the video that I saw, and I'm like, well, okay, too late now. It's already published, but um, it's a game in which you are rolling dice, and you're using those dice to go ahead and place them in your base, And then allow you to go ahead and do different things such as zapping the uh, the aliens as they descend uh, out of the sky you're trying to come up your research track you're trying to move the excavator allow you to do more things uh, increase energy that allows you to have these action points so to speak and really it's that race against time to make sure that the mothership doesn't drop down too low or your base doesn't take too much damage really good game and really fun game and there's different Um, scenarios that you can go through as well that really make the game very fun and so there's a lot of replayability. And I just forgot how good that game is. It's puzzling and yet it just gives me growing up in the 80s that nostalgia of playing the big Space Invaders game that uh, was in the arcade. You pump a quarter in and it's in these big uh, boxes here and you would, you know, that's how you would spend a couple hours in an afternoon or an evening at at the boardwalk of the arcade. Fun, fun stuff. So a uh, great solo game, and uh, really just a cool little fun game, and that is Under Falling Skies. The, uh, the next game I played is the latest game from Gamelan Games, latest in the Tiny Epic series, and that is uh, the one that just came, uh, got fulfilled from Kickstarter. It's Tiny Epic Vikings. And for those of you who don't know, the Tiny Tiny Epic game series Uh, i think started out with maybe tiny epic galaxies or maybe that was the second one I remember the order the chronological order these are games come in a very small box but they're designed to be epic in how they play basically they're supposed to be bigger than what these games uh, tend to be tiny epic galaxies uh, very popular tiny epic kingdoms tiny epic uh, defenders i think was popular um There's been Tiny Epic Mechs, Tiny Epic Pirates, Tiny Epic Dungeons came out last year. That one was a little tough. Uh, Tiny Epic Vikings came out, and it's a game in which you are Viking ships and you're going through the different fjords. And then you're gonna go ahead to uh, these different villages. And so you have cards with runes on them. And so based on those runes or how you're gonna go ahead and attack, and then you uh, having the number of runes will allow you to do certain things with your leader cards. And, but you're also going to have runes that are going to come from the uh, the islands and the fjords. And those runes that you have will add to the power that your leaders are going to have as well. But uh, those runes can also go back and forth between the different players. So you're going to have this conquest of, okay, this person got this fjord over here, got this island, they have this rune. Maybe a couple of turns I go over, I, I conquer that person, I defeat their... Um, you know, their workers, and then now I have workers, and I get the rune from that, and so that comes over to me, and so there's this take that little bit of this, and it provides, the game is really neat to me, because it, to me, re-solidifies what the Tiny Epic series should be doing, and that's creating this epic gameplay in a very small package, and I think it really does a good job. It To me, it's one of my favorite in the Tiny Epic series, because I think it just really just re-anchored the Uh, The premise of the game and it makes it fun and it wasn't all that tough But it was a game where we're going man, you know, there's some good decision points in here and It's just a game about attacking. It's just about going ahead. Just doing what Vikings did back then, you know Just attack you're not here to defend in place You're here to kind of strategically do what you need to do, but it brings that out in a really cool way And so it was a well-done game. Uh, I like it I think it's gonna be one of my top probably three tiny epic games overall but it was very pleasant. I very I was very excited when it came in and got it to the table. I'm like, oh, wow, this is so, so good. And so we had a blast with it. So that's a game that I'm going to very highly recommend uh, for people if they're looking at the Tiny Epic series. And just the game by itself, too. I think it's a great game. Plays in a fairly quick time and provides a really good gameplay experience. So thumbs up from Frenchy for Tiny Epic Vikings. Okay, my next game on the list is a game that is um, probably a Grail game for many. probably a Grail game for most people. It's a game that probably will never, ever, ever get produced again. Came out in a couple of iterations, and it is from Ismati Games. And it's a game by the creator of Red Seven and Innovation, and it's Glory to Rome. Now I happen to have the Black Box edition. There was an original Glory to Rome in which the cards were very cartoony. And that seemed to hit a chord with people. Then it was republished. And then for a variety of different things, which I'm not going to go into um, because I'm not worried about that, uh, the game will never be republished again. And there's a big history behind that. And so it's a game that's very scarce to find. And it's a game that, uh, you know, the copy I have, I could sell it for a substantial amount of money, to be honest with you. It's just a small card game. But in the game... You have a pool of cards you're actually drafting cards and you have these cards that are going to allow you to build different buildings in the city of Rome and then it's really a set collection game and so you're also getting these foundation pieces from tableau of cards up above and you're building everything on there collecting points you have to look at your limits uh, to make sure you don't exceed them and so the game has a lot of strategic play and those cards will go you'll basically take a card put it down. Everyone can play a card in that suit and uh, take those actions or you can take, I can't remember what the black card is now. Um, you can take a card that allows you to go ahead and duplicate that action. And so there's a lot of different cool little things that you can do with this game. It is a game and where the black box anyway does not look spectacular in the graphic design, but it's very functional. And I kind of like the simplistic colors of that. It's a game that can go for different time periods as well as far as gameplay length. I think it has a wide aspect of how to play it. But it's a game that once a few people play it, then you start to go ahead. And as uh, we're playing it, you're going, okay, great, I understand how this game works now. So the first couple of games are kind of getting your feet about you. And then going going out and playing it with the same group allows for a better gameplay experience because everyone understands how the cards work and how all the rules work together. But it's a great game. Uh, It's a shame that it can't get republished and you know, I'm sure somebody can go ahead and get a copy But you're gonna pay through the nose for that. I paid a pretty decent amount of money uh, a couple of years ago And uh, would pay even a bigger amount of money for right now But it's a really cool game if you're able to to get a copy and it's justifiable for you Or if you're able to play with somebody uh, It's a strategic card game there's some things that are very intuitive but it really involves playing it a few times to wrap your mind around it but a really great civilization set collection game set in rome don't worry the aesthetics are not going to be there the strategy and the card interaction and the way the game's played and the player interaction within that is really really cool and so that is a game that i played in the last couple of weeks and we were going wow we've uh, <laughs> i haven't played it for a while wow this is actually really good and i'm like yeah, unfortunately, I'm taking it across the country with me. So I've got some people that are going to be bummed out about it, but a terrific game that I just unfortunately circumstances dictate where it is. So that is glory to Rome. Now, next game on my list is game by uh is it game right? I can't remember if it's game right. I can't see it. It's in the back there. Uh really great filler game, and it's called Shifting Stones. Shifting Stones is a game where you have nine. Tiles and these tiles are produced really, really well. Uh, They're thick tiles, they're textured, they're glossy, they're really high quality, and they're different colors on different sides. And then every player gets a hand of four cards in which those cards show the tiles in different configurations and points. And so players are gonna use the cards to either, A, go ahead and shift two tiles, or flip a tile, or go ahead and draw cards, or go ahead and play the card down because they have now manipulated by shifting the tiles or flipping the tiles to go ahead and score that. So you might have four cards in your hand. You may play one, two, three, you may flip a tile and then move two tiles and then move two other tiles in order to score that fourth card that allows you to score points and you can score anywhere from one to three and then five point cards. And so the game moves all the time because you can't ever really properly plan ahead you can kind of see maybe as it's coming to your your um, your turn if you're playing four players the player that's going to play before you is going to dictate where the tiles are going to be and so you really have to look at how they set that but you might be going okay the player before them as they're wrapping up their turn I can see where things are and then at least have a strategy to say okay if they don't move that tile I'm good there I can do this but you really can't plan too far ahead because they're shifting and they're shifting with every player. And unless the player actually says, I'm just going to draw cards, you know, because maybe they played all their cards, you know, or, or whatever, uh, you're, you're never going to be able to bank on the fact that uh, you have the tiles in a certain way until it's your turn because that's when the tiles are set. So it creates a really neat dynamic, but it's a matter of just being able to use the cards the right way at the right time and scoring points. Uh, great game. Great filler game. I think it plays up to six players, if I remember right, five or six players. So it scales really well, but it's fun. Simple game to teach new gamers. Last time I played it, uh, we had a couple of new gamers, and they enjoyed it quite a bit. They also enjoyed one of the other games that I'm going to show here as well. I'll talk about it in just a minute. But uh, Shifting Stones, just a really fun game. Very available, too. So check it out. as a good filler game that's fun, easy to teach, and it's just a good game to pass the time with. All right, so another game that I have here is uh, it's either Blazon or Blazon, B-L-A-Z-O-N. And this is a game uh, that is about the creating of the colors on a shield or an emblem and the heraldry back in those days of medieval times. And so it's a puzzly card drafting game where you're taking cards, and you're playing the cards and then putting these tiles, uh, these cards, based on your shield, your emblem. And there are different interactions with where these tiles or these cards are gonna be placed. And so by doing that, uh, you're gonna be scoring points versus um, how they're placed and drawing them. Excuse me. And you have some cards that are gonna be tincture cards which are gonna be the colors and you gotta place those in just a few certain areas of the board. You have other cards that are pretty much gonna have more of the symbols or the heraldry symbols. They get placed otherwise, and so you're trying to come up with this way to place the cards and get points, uh, strategically have them interact with each other, and draft them when uh, when they're coming up on um, on the drafting row and everything. Uh, to be honest with you, a couple times we played it. This game just it was a decent game. and it's a decent puzzly game, but this game doesn't do anything that's exciting. You know, now the most exciting thing about the cover and this was published by 25th century games the most exciting thing about the game to me was the cover because the cover the artwork was done by Ian o'toole great you open it up and you got this emblem this shield we've got nine uh grids and there's nothing aesthetically pleasing some of the components look pretty good uh you know the different token components and everything that you know tool had designed but The actual gameplay, your Herald, Emblem, Shield that you have in front of you doesn't scream anything's particularly great. Uh, The cards don't scream anything particularly great. Uh, Aesthetically, thematically, in a way, even thematically, there's a disconnect. It's a puzzle game. It doesn't really work. It's just kind of pushed together. I mean, it works, but there's nothing in the game that says, oh, that's great because it was so thematic or it was so riveting. It's like, okay, I do this. I do that. And I'm calling the game, Blah Zon, because the game just doesn't do a whole lot for me. It's, it really, I mean, I enjoy the puzzle aspect of it because I don't mind puzzly style games, but I walked away with it going, I didn't really get anything out of the game. And, uh, you know, it, to me, it was it was a great attempt. I mean, not a great attempt, it was a good attempt, uh, but it just doesn't transcend to be a great gameplay experience and uh, something that I don't know that I really ever care to play. Maybe I'll play it again just to try to give it another crack, but I'm not I'm not beating down the door to play it again, and I backed it on Kickstarter and everything, so I don't know what I'm gonna do with the game, but it just really doesn't take a gameplay experience to a level that I would, I would like, even when I was a beginning board gamer, I think I would still have very much the same opinion about the game. So that's a miss for me, and I uh, wish it was a little bit better. Uh, and like I said, the box cover, I think is the best part of the game. So <laughs> take that as uh, as you will. So let's pivot from that game. I'll talk about two more games, both card games. Uh, this one to me is a really great filler card game. Been around for uh, quite a while. And I believe it's from Mayday Games, if I remember right. And it was originally a digital game that they created uh, a card game because it was a digital card game, and it's not like a Pokemon or a Marvel Snap or anything like that. It was a digital card game, and uh, they created the analog version. and I've had that analog version for a long period of time. Played it with my son many, many times. Played with a lot of gamers over the years. Uh, and it's called Dead Man's Draw. Dead Man's Draw is a pressure luck game in which you have a deck of cards, and you have ten different suits. Uh, And the suits are thematic based on pirates, so you have anchors, you have mermaids, you have oracles, you have uh, treasure chests and keys, you have cannons and swords and hooks, uh, maps, and probably one or two other uh, ones that I'm missing there. And so what you're doing is each player on their turn is going to start by taking the top deck of the card, flipping up, okay? And the cards have numbers from two to nine based on the suit. Uh, so you're going to be flipping up the cards and then you'll continue to flip up cards until you bust which means that you have two cards of matching suit which means you bust and all those cards go on the loot pile or you go ahead and you say stop and if you haven't had two cards that are matching in suits you're going to go ahead take them and put them in your tableau and you sort your tableau with the highest value of each suit face up because that's how you're going to score points but the neat thing about the game is that each suit has a different ability so the anchor for instance that anchor is if you, play the, if you have the anchor up, that means that that anchor is going to protect that card and any card before it, so if you bust, you're only gonna lose the cards that are played after the anchor. You have an oracle card, means you can look at the top card of the deck, decide if you wanna go on or not. You have a kraken. Kraken is actually going to force you to play the next two cards. You might bust because of the kraken. Mermaid typically doesn't have any abilities. They do have two higher numbers, uh, but if you deal with the lower numbers, you can have a mermaid ability where you can, uh, Uh, shift cards on the other side of the mermaid, kind of as a siren, so kind of luring some cards over. The treasure chest and the key, if you have those both, then you can go ahead and score double the cards. Uh, The hook means you can take a card out of your tableau and use it, okay? Which means you can strategically use it to take an action or do something like I'll take the oracle, I'll put it here so I can look at the next card, or I'm going to bust so I did that the right way. Uh, The sword means you can take a card and kind of lift this card from somebody else's tableau into yours can it means you can blast the card um, out of that person into the loot deck and then a map allows you to go ahead into three cards in the loot deck and choose a card for yourself to put in that play area in that row there's a lot of modularity to the game as well but the game plays really fast it's fun there's enough interaction in there for for players and it's just a really cool beautifully uh, colored game and a game that i have enjoyed for many many years and introduced that to some new gamers and we had a blast a couple weeks ago so that's gonna take me to the last game, the game that I really want to end on, because this game to me is a game that I think is going to be for, uh, don't be bored for that channel. I think I'm gonna make this my game of the month. I played it last week for the first time, and I had been looking forward to this game. I like trick-taking games. I always grew up with trick-taking games, and those have been kind of hot. The crew has kind of put, a couple years ago, put trick-taking games back on the board game radar. Uh, And there's other games that have done it too, but the crew really just put that out there and said, oh, we could do this in a cooperative fashion. And then that was was, uh, Deep Space Nine. Then they did Mission Deep Sea, which took that and made it even just a little bit better, believe it or not. And so there's a game that came out from uh, Bezier Games, which does a lot of thinky games, and it's called Cat in the Box. And this is a game which takes trick-taking elements and really... Changes on his head. So all the cards in your hand are devoid of suits. All the cards are black and they do not have a color because you're going to uh, the color or suit associated with them and what you're going to do is uh, There is a board Based on player count, you're going to have that where there's going to be you're going to have these little uh, glass uh, pieces that's on the deluxe edition. you are basically going to go ahead and there is a, a board there that players can go and it's basically going to say that this number can be in this color. So for instance, uh, you have a card in front of you that has the four different colors. And so when you pick a card, let's say I want to play the seven. Okay. Play the seven. and I put it on over blue. That means that card now is blue. That seven is blue. And I'm going to take my token. I'm going to put it on the, uh, the board that everybody has. Uh, in front of accessible to them, and I place it on the blue seven, which means the seven blue can no longer be played, okay? So that, because that just kind of symbolizes that that's the only card in that. So now everyone else can follow suit in blue. If they don't have that, they can play another one. But part of the game experience is not only winning the tricks and bidding, because you have a card in which you can go ahead and bid and say, here's how many tricks I'm gonna take, plus also that, you also have your tokens that are gonna be on the different colors, so you can kind of mitigate that by taking that off. But on the board, the so like that blue seven that I said, uh, all the colors are gonna be staggered a little bit, kind of in a stairway, so the colors are gonna be a little different. What you're trying to do is you're actually trying to uh, get points, additional points, for the number of connected tokens of your color that you're gonna have that are orthogonal to each other. That's going to add to your scoring. So, the scoring is going to be based on um, scoring the exact number of tricks that you said you were going to do, having the connected amount of tokens on the board, and then maybe some points taken away if you run into a paradox where you're not able to play a card because you don't have any options or you're not able to score the number of tricks exactly that you say. So, the games can go where, you know, 19 to 0, they could go like, you know, minus 13, minus 12, one and three, uh, you know, a variety of different scoring. It's really a nice strategic trick-taking game. And I know trick-taking games aren't for everybody. I like it because I like trying to think of the meta of like, well, what is somebody gonna wanna play and how to do that? So the three games that I played at- It really intrigued me so far and I want to continue to play more. It's a very addictive game for me. It's a very thinky game for me. It's a game that I like to look and go, okay, what can I do? And what would somebody want to play based on what I'm seeing here to try to do that? And again, you have full visibility because you know the cards that are played because everyone has placed their tokens on the sport. So it's really, really fun, really cool. A lot of game uh, in a little box. Uh, Again, not for everybody, but for me, uh, somebody who loves trick-taking games, and something innovative it really has done a tremendous job and a game that i could easily see playing years and years and years down the road because it's that good so that is cat in the box and a wrap up of the games that i've played over the last couple of weeks okay friends and gamers hey thank you so much for joining uh again before we wrap up please go ahead and like and subscribe share And uh, make sure you're ready for more content to come out. Again, uh, Frenchie is uh, going to have a little disruption of content. I'm going to try to put out uh, something in a somewhat regular cadence over the next few weeks as I move across the country. Uh, And I'll try to keep you updated in some videos. But I don't know how that's going to manifest. But we'll continue to get stuff out so you can uh, connect with me. And, uh, hey, feel free to reach out and uh, support me, comment in here, and if you're a content creator, love to support uh, your channel as well. So that is it for Frenchie. I am going to be signing off, and until next time, take care, play nice.